You're listening to the Gavel and Pestle Podcast with Darshan Kulkarni. The Gavel and Pestle Podcast, where the law of the land intersects with the business of pharmacy. Hey, this is Darshan. Just before uh, you listen to the podcast, make sure you remember, this is not legal advice. This is also not medical advice, and um, it's not construction advice, so don't take construction advice from me. Also, this does not create an attorney-client relationship, so don't be saying that I just gave you legal advice again. Talk to a lawyer who knows you, that can give you advice that's right for you. Thanks again. Keep listening. We'll talk soon. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Gavel and Pestle Podcast. With Darshan Kolkarni, I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri, and Darshan and I launched this show. Oh, it's probably been a little while. Darshan, how long has it been? It's been just the right amount of time, Todd. It's been <laughs> perfect. I tell you what, it's been fun to to dig into some of the um, issues that you're covering, and every time I dig out one issue, it starts to to trickle into another. And I was thinking the other day when you and I had talked before about pharmacy owners and how pharmacy owners, whether that be a pharmacist that graduates out of a chain store, whether that be a pharmacy, a pharmacist that wants to expand multiple stores, or whether that's a partnership that says, hey, we want to leave you know, our jobs as, as a career pharmacist and really launch our own pharmacy – Let's talk about the tips for buying a pharmacy and what we can do to help educate anyone listening out there that thinks, hey, is pharmacy ownership for me? So today's show is three tips for buying a pharmacy. So um, I'm going to kick it over to you, Darshan, so that we can discuss this. Well, this is perfect, Todd. Thank you again for thinking of this topic. This was great. It was a lot of fun coming up with uh, sort of the lessons I've learned with dealing with clients who have this exact problem. So just so to give us some context, you and I discussed this a little bit earlier, but the big piece that happened was I went to this um, meet and greet uh, recently, and the meet and greet had all these different pharmacists, but it was really not even meant for pharmacists. It was meant for people to get an MBA. And there were all these pharmacists out there going, I just need to get out of retail pharmacy. And I said, why, why is it that you want to get out of retail pharmacy? And their big answer was, it's soul-crushing. I have no control over my job, and, and I really hate what I do. And I was like, well, have you considered uh, about like things like owning your own company? Or have you considered uh, evaluating if there are other ways to work through it? And I know you have a uh, another podcast, for example, that talks about options for pharmacists and career options and all those good things. But this specific career option of owning your own pharmacy, have, pharmacy having control of your own life was a great one. And they, you could see their eyes light up, and you, you could tell the, the fear in their eyes of, can I do it? Maybe I can do it. I got to do this. And it was amazing seeing that, that thought process right in the middle of the conversation. And as I was doing this, I went, I got to talk to Todd. And then you sort of reached out to me almost serendipitously, and I can't even pronounce the word because that's how excited I am. You reached out to me, and you went, I, I got to talk to you about this. And I was like, perfect. This is exactly what I want to talk about. And there we went. So a couple of different things. I talked to a couple of my clients and I, I looked back at some of the lessons I learned as I was talking to clients and dealing with clients. And I would say that there are three separate areas you want to be thinking about. Now, there are obviously a lot of things that go into this. And there are lots of bits and pieces and there are lots of moving parts. 
and we're not going to talk about all 99,223 of them, but we're going to talk about three of them. And the three things are keep track of your licenses, keep track of the connected agreements, and then talk about the pieces that you critically need to have in your purchase agreement, in the agreement you're going to sign. If you get those pieces together, you're going to be in a much, much better position than you would have been if, if that's not the model you followed. So let's talk about the three pieces again. Licenses, recommended agreements, and connected agreements, and then there's the actual clauses. So we spoke about licenses. What licenses are we thinking about? Well, first of all, you need to think about the DEA. You need to make sure your DEA license for the person is in place. Are you going to work with that DA license? Are you gonna keep that pharmacist on working with you while you get all the licenses figured out? Because a lot of pharmacists, when they're selling their pharmacy, will say, uh, you know what, I just wanna walk away from this pharmacy at this point. Well, that may be well and good, but getting the DA license takes a little bit of time. Your getting your pharmacy state board license may take a little bit of time. So a lot of what a lot of pharmacists do when they're buying the pharmacy is say that, you know what, I want you to work with me as the manager for three to six months. And that becomes useful because you get to say, I'm going to use your licenses until that whole process works out. So are you going to be, uh, how are you going to deal with the DEA? How are you going to deal with the State Board of Pharmacy? If you're a compounding pharmacy, that's getting really, really hot right now. If you're what's called an outsourcing facility, how are you going to deal with the FDA? Getting your NABP, NCPDP numbers figured out, your NPI number figured out, all of those pieces, think about all these different licenses and don't forget that they play a lot of, uh, they play a huge role in your reimbursement. So make sure you've got that piece figured out. Todd, did that, did any of that make sense? It does. And as I follow this along, it's, it's really opening up other questions in each of those, um, those subjects, license and recommended agreements. And um, and some of the recommended clauses. So let's break those down. Let's start with um, licenses. So I want to buy a pharmacy. I've worked right. for a chain pharmacy um, for let's say ten years. Um, just like you said, I'm tired of it. I have ideas about medication therapy management, diabetes, living uh, life, living life the right way, becoming not obese or something like that. I have all these ideas that I absolutely can't implement in a chain uh, environment. So let's start with licenses. Let's go through that first. Yeah. So so like I was saying, what, what you want to talk about is think about the major licenses that you already have in place. And you want to think about which licenses are you going to carry over. When are you going to use your licenses? Are you going to be the manager? Is there going to be a separate manager? Don't think just about the licenses of the pharmacy itself because those are critical, but also the licenses of the manager. Because that manager needs to sort of take on the responsibility. Are you the person buying this? Are you a pharmacist? Or are you just an investor? Uh, if you're a pharmacist, are you going to actually work? Are you thinking of it more as a side business that's going on? Those are all things that impact the type of controls you're going to have in place. So the DEA licenses, like we said, the pharmacy board licenses, the FDA licenses that you may need to get in place, the NABP, NCPDP numbers. Uh, and the NPI numbers. Those are the big ones, Todd. So when I'm kind of checking this off, I need to keep track of this and I needed to, to prepare and do it correctly. Uh, do, does your organization, does your law firm actually have structure to help me with those processes and those applications? 
Absolutely. So what you're going to land up doing a lot of the times, and these are the big questions that you land up getting. The big question you land up getting is, so does that mean I have to stop the pharmacy? Not necessarily. Because a lot of times people worry that, um, that, that this whole process takes a while. Is this something I can start working on tomorrow? No, probably not. Is this something that's going to take six months? Maybe, maybe not. But does that mean that my pharmacy needs to stop? Not necessarily. And that's what my law firm can help you with. That's what my law firm can do, which is we can help you keep track of the critical pieces and then help you make sure that that continues. That any questions that arise, we we have a process in place to help you get from the idea of taking over the pharmacy to actually taking over the pharmacy. And then, and this is the part most people forget, having a continued operation of the pharmacy. Your lawyer should be the guy you reach out to when you have questions. The, the lawyer is, the, is your advocate. He's your counselor. What he's supposed to be doing is not just filling out paperwork for you. He's supposed to be making sure that that paperwork makes sense and you can continue working together, working not just on your own, not just in the day-to-day -day of the pharmacy, but making sure that all the bits and pieces that you need come through, and that's what I can help you with. Okay, so – when you say in the next section recommended agreements, you're you're talking about everything from a buyer's agreement to uh, structuring an actual deal to purchase the pharmacy, and possibly even giving your client, aka the new pharmacy owner, a creative way of purchasing that pharmacy. Let's say from another independent pharmacy owner. So let's go into those two. Yeah. So so what I was really talking about here, Todd, and and this was great. Thank you again for thinking about thinking about what, what the bits and pieces are. What a lot of pharmacists tend to think about is, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in. Today, it's Bob who owns the pharmacy. Tomorrow, Tim's walking in. And me, Tim, suddenly keep running the pharmacy. Well, that's not how it works. Because the parts that matter is that Bob signed a whole bunch of agreements that are specific to Bob. And if you land up buying just the, uh, just the agreement uh, of Bob's pharmacy... It depends on how you bought it. So, for example, let's say you bought just his inventory because you didn't want any of the liabilities that go with Bob. Let's say you didn't want to deal with let's, – let's say Bob was sort of um, a really bad owner and what you lined up with was you, you like the infrastructure, you like the location, you like the fact that he's got certain customers. What you might say is I just want to buy the pharmacy. I don't want to buy Bob's name. I don't necessarily even want to buy uh, Bob's Goodwill. I necessarily just want the assets of the pharmacy, none of the liabilities. Well, that's great, except what you've now got is a situation where Bob is uh, – the agreements that Bob signed don't necessarily go along with you. So that lease that Bob signed with in his pharmacy may not apply to your new pharmacy. So now you've got to make sure you reach out and you've got all the bits and pieces figured out. Whether it's the agreements with the different insurance providers, because I assume you, Tim, want to be reimbursed. Whether it's the actual landlord agreement to make sure that your landlord is okay with Bob leaving and you taking on that lease. Uh, whether it's any kind of in-store vending machines like your copiers or photocopying kiosks. You need to make sure you've got those agreements in place. Are they going to continue? Are you going to get rid of them? Is there a fee that Bob has to pay now to, to terminate that agreement early? You've got to start thinking about things like uh, parking lot cleaning contracts. And your uh, if, if there's like a cleaning crew that comes in, how do you pay them? 
any kind of automation contracts, any kind of uh, supplier contracts, all of those bits and pieces need to be figured out. You need to have an inventory, and, and there's often a good idea to go and create a checklist of all the moving parts that you need and all the moving parts that they have and see if they match. And, ver- and more often than not, they don't. What about wholesaler agreements? Exactly what I was referring to. Great point, Todd. So what you want to make sure is you've got your wholesalers who are coming in. We're going to give you the stuff, whether it's your Marisource Virgin or whether it's your McKesson. You've got to make sure that that contract carries on to you. Now, Bob may have had a certain level of um, – let, let's say he was doing, I don't know, 150 prescriptions a month. That's great. But here's the problem. What if you have three other pharmacies and you can uh, you know that you can sell more product? You may be able to negotiate better rates. You got to figure out how that's going to play out. They may say, you know what, you're too small. Maybe, maybe not. Are they going to give you the same terms? You know what, I, I knew Bob for the last fifty years. I'm, I tend to give him a better deal. You, Tim, are brand new to the industry. I'm not sure I can give you the same deal. You want to have those conversations up front. That makes a lot of sense. So, in structuring these types of agreements, um, let's pretend I'm buying the pharmacy from a guy named Tim. Uh, my name's Todd. And uh, Tim's Pharmacy has an agreement with um, McKesson, and they also have an agreement with a buying group. And um, in the purchase of the pharmacy, as the new owner, do I have to withhold or up- uphold the agreements that Tim's Pharmacy originally structured with both of those entities? So that totally depends. It depends on how that agreement is written. So sometimes the agreements will say, and it applies to any future uh, owners of that pharmacy. The question is, how did you buy the pharmacy? Did you buy the pharmacy as a stock purchase agreement, in which case you own the pharmacy and the liabilities and the assets? Or did you buy it as a um, just an asset purchase, in which case the, the t- same terms may not apply? Also, a, a lot of the times you'll get uh, the group purchasing organization or the wholesaler coming up and saying, we made the agreement with just your pharmacy. When there's a sale, the agreement doesn't necessarily carry over. We can come in with new terms, and you will need to abide by them. So you need to look at the contract, see what pieces apply. That's excellent. So when we're going to kind of that next section, which is recommended clauses – how does a clause differentiate from um, recommended agreements? So, so the recommended agreements to me is more about what are the surrounding agreements. So people tend to think about, oh, you know what, I want to buy, buy a pharmacy. Can you write up an agreement for me? And that's, that's one part of the entire transaction. It's not going to be just a, um, a, a single agreement that gets written out. The, the transfer agreement from from – Tim to Todd or from Bob to Tim, that's just one piece. It's the, this entire thing around it, this entire environment. Those are the recommended agreements. Now, the recommended clauses that I was talking about refers to that transfer agreement. What are the pieces that you want to have if you are buying it from someone else? So if something goes wrong, uh, if, if someone tripped and fell, if someone – uh, if there was a lawsuit that's that was already in place, you may want to have an indemnification uh, clause in there saying, you know what, I'm Tim. Um, sorry, I'm I'm Tim. I'm buying it from Bob, and you know what, I heard that uh, Bob had an employee who's going to sue him. 
I want to be indemnified if that employee comes against me. And you may say that I'm willing to walk away if I don't get that uh, indemnification in place. What the indemnification does is it says if I get su- if I get sued because of something that happened when Bob owned the store, then I want to be paid back by Bob for the stuff that happened. So that's what indemnification does, and that's sort of a very important part of that clause. The- those, those are clauses that are added to the agreement. Correct. Those are clauses that get inserted into the agreement to protect your interests. And so one he- of the funny things is um, it doesn't typically happen in the smaller agreements. But if you're doing like a multi-billion dollar agreement where you're, se- you're selling one large company to another large company or the like, you'll often have like teams of lawyers on either side. And the first agreement – the first um, argument is over who drafts the agreement. And the, the reason that's that's funny is because whoever drafts the first contract, the first template, sets the tone. And yes, you get to change it, you get to audit it, you get to change it and modify it. But the fact is that when you're writing these agreements out, you often tailor them to favor your client. And there are enough booby traps in there where you're protecting the interests of your client. And if something goes wrong, someone might find... 95 out of the uh, 100 booby traps that you put in there. But if they kept five in there, you still have a fighting chance. Makes and then there's the other side of that agreement. The, the other side will say, we want our side to be in there because we want to make sure that our client's protected. And that's just part of the dance that happens. In turn, you can use some of those clauses as negotiating tools Very for good. all sorts of things, right? Exactly right. So what will often happen is you'll put clauses in there that you know absolutely that no one in their right mind is going to give them to you. And, and that's one of the conversations I have with my clients, which is what is it that, you're, that you are hoping to achieve right now? Are you hoping to, um, to just finish this agreement and move on? Or are you hoping to, be, uh, to have the best possible agreement? And the best possible agreement often takes the most possible time. But you might you land up with something you probably wouldn't have gotten if you were aiming for the fastest possible resolution. Um, and and most clients, in my experience, tend to say, "Oh, I want the most reasonable agreement," and and that's fine until you start digging in deeper. But my experience has been that clients want that until they find out that it doesn't quite work out that way. When they when they find out that there is more than one reasonable way to look at things. Very cool. I want to just mention to the listener, if you're listening to Darshan and it's popping up in your head now that, yes, in fact, you're interested in selling or even buying a pharmacy, um, and today was more about the three tips of buying a pharmacy, but we will be setting the stage for our next show, which will be about selling a pharmacy, and I'm so excited to have Darshan coming back to the Gavel and Pestle podcast to talk to about that, to talk to us about that. KulkarniLawFirm.com. That's K-U-L-K-A-R-N-I LawFirm.com. Look for that link down in the show notes. Click on that. Go to uh, Tarshan's contact page. Make sure you reach out to him. Um, He's going to guide you. He knows what he's doing. This is what he does. Tarshan, this was a really interesting uh, episode. I really appreciate that. Thank you again for having me, Todd. This is excellent. There's so much more we can talk about. We we could talk about the non-compete, non-disparagement clause. We could talk about employment by the previous owner. We can talk about the different laws. I've been involved in contracts where 
um, there were there were some uh, fraudulent claims being made by one party to the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe we can do that in maybe if if listeners want to write in and ask Todd, and maybe we can have a, a talk sometime about just the questions people have about how to buy a pharmacy. That's excellent. We could de- develop a hashtag to follow along and uh, create some uh, create create some feedback. Definitely. That sounds awesome. Well, that's another episode of the Gavel and Pestle podcast brought to you by Kulkarni Law Firm. That's Darshan Kulkarni. Please look in the show notes in order to get a hold of uh, Darshan to ask questions about three tips for buying a pharmacy, license, recommended agreements, and some recommended clauses. And we will talk with you next time on the Gavel and Pestle podcast. Hey, this is Darshan. Thanks for listening in. I really want to talk to you. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at, at FDA Lawyers. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Darshan Kukarni. And if you want to find me any other way, well, start with Twitter, but you can always email me as well. Darshan at conformlaw.com. Thanks for listening in. I'm really excited to hear from you.